so very wonderful to meditate through our prayers and through the opportunity to meditate upon the Scripture as we prepare ourselves for this glorious Lord's Supper. As we do so, I was thinking about the title of a meditative message like this, not a sermon, but just a meditation. And my mind kept going back to this phrase, the preaching and the power of the cross. The preaching and the power of the cross. And two things immediately came into my mind as I mold that message title over and over and over again in my mind. And the first was a song, The Power of the Cross. It's very familiar to all of us. We might even, if we have time at the end, have an instrumental played of the tune for this song. You know, it's very beloved, this very recent but well-loved hymn by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend, The Power of the Cross. Listen to the first two verses of this well-loved and well-known contemporary hymn. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, We stand forgiven at the cross. The preaching and power of the cross. Why do I say that? Well, if you will, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we meditate on the preaching and power of the cross. If you really think about it, what I just mentioned from that wonderful hymn doesn't speak particularly about power, does it? Seems to speak to me about weakness, about someone dying, about sin, judgment. That all seems to me to be the opposite of power. And When you think about preaching, preaching the cross, no wonder the disciples of Jesus, when they were looking for the coming Messiah, were confused. They were unaware, or so it seemed, even though they were so conversant with the Old Testament Scripture, that the Messiah comes to die? 
The, the one we have looked to, the one we have prayed for, the one for whom we would rejoice to restore the kingdom to Israel comes to die, comes to be humiliated. It doesn't make sense. This, the power of the cross, the the preaching of the cross, well, it, it seems downright shameful. Maybe even folly. And you know that's exactly what the Apostle Paul picks up here in 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Just a few verses as we meditate. Think about this preaching and power. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Three mentions here even just in the first chapter about preaching. And notice what he says, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Preach, euangelion, to herald, to communicate, to send a message. For Christ sent me to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its what? Of its power. So there you have it, preaching and power. But it seems to me, and it may seem so to you, that if if you're going to preach a powerful communication about a coming deliverer, a king, a a messiah, you certainly don't attach uh, preaching and power to someone who's hanging on a Roman cross. It's foolhardy. It's, It's downright shameful. It's embarrassing. And yet it says right here in the biblical text, Christ sent the Apostle Paul and all who are sent with this message to preach the gospel and not do it with words of eloquent wisdom. What does he mean? Well, remember, this is uh, pagan territory. This is a Gentile land. This is a Jewish preacher, Paul, who's going to a Gentile area, um, Corinth, uh, Greece, no less, an area that's been filled for a long time with uh, eloquent rhetoric, with uh, speakers who can tickle the, the ears, those who are very good at oratory, those who are fabulous at what they do, those who are able to persuade. The idea of persuasiveness at this time was the ability, whether or not the message was true or false, to be able to communicate to people in such a way that they bought the line, that they were convinced by the power of your eloquence, by the persuasiveness of your oratory. And Paul comes and says, I preach the gospel as I'm being being sent by Christ to do, not with words of eloquent wisdom. Why? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
It's, it's counterintuitive. Wait a minute. Wouldn't it be better to have, if you're going to preach the power of the cross, this death of Jesus Christ with the kind of eloquence that with the message and the eloquence, it'll seal the deal? It'll make everyone believe? I mean, I don't think Paul is saying here, be the most boring you can possibly be when you communicate the cross. But maybe there's some place, some point on the linear line of a line that's crossed at some point is perhaps what he's talking about. Maybe it's something like this. I've got to communicate the message in such a way that if I talk about sin, if I talk about the brutality of sin, if I talk about total depravity, if I talk about human nature, that everybody born into the world from Adam until now, save the Lord Jesus Christ himself, are born in sin and then sin by choice and then compound that sin by sinning against all others in whom they come in contact and then they turn around and sin against him. You know, all this talk about sin might very well drive people away. Let's, um, let's change it up a bit. I mean, let's be eloquent if we were to talk about something like the cross, but let's, let's use different words. In fact, maybe perhaps we don't talk about cross at all. Frankly, through the centuries, there are a lot of people who don't want to talk about blood atonement. They don't want to talk about the cross in terms of my sin debt being paid through violent sacrificial death. So let's, uh, let's go easy on a few things because we want to set the trap properly. And so maybe the, the bait ought to sound much more winsome, much more mild, so that someone, the person to whom we're speaking, or the large crowd, uh, we can see be so persuasive, so cunning, that the eloquence is actually the thing that puts them over the top. And to talk about sin and hell and judgment and the cross as, as violent and sacrificial and then talking about someone's response to a violent sacrificial death, something like repentance, turning from your sin, acknowledging your guilt before God, saying through confession, which means saying the same thing that God is saying, I confess, I admit, I acknowledge that I'm through and through fraught with sin that I fall far short of the glory of God and my sin has brought me this hell and judgment that I deserve. Well, that just won't do. That just won't do. So maybe when Paul comes into Corinth and he knows this eloquence and this sophistry, this wisdom and these eloquent speakers, he's purposely guarding himself away from such eloquence 
lest the cross be void of its power. And look at verse 21. It pleased God, 1 Corinthians 1.21, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The folly of what we preach? The folly of it? Well, or so it seems to Mr. Worldly Wise Man. To those who assume there's got to be a better way, there's got to be a way around all of the negative stuff, maybe we can uh, paint over all of the negativity with uh, a fine peppermint smell. Sweet to the taste also. You're never going to get converts if you talk about the ignominious death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for all of the sins of everyone who would ever believe. That's folly. Paul anticipates that. Verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But, verse 23, We preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, notice this, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So here's what Paul's all about. This is uh, very well a typical Pauline message on Good Friday. Here it is. I preach to you, Jesus Christ and him crucified so that the power of God will not be evacuated, null and void. That the real message is lost in all the eloquence. The real message is lost in all of the things that people try to do not to hear the message of truth. And sometimes, to be sure, the truth is hard to be heard But the truth is the truth, and we certainly want to preach with power. And what kind of power? Well, do you know, he's already mentioned back in verse 17, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And look at verse 18, for the word of the cross is, Paul says, certainly folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, delivered, delivered from our sins, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. I mean, the ingenious mind of an omniscient God who writes a story that no human being would ever have come up with on their own. This is, frankly, not Academy Award material. You you, you can't write it this way. This is This is not a film. This is, however, true. And here's the truth of it. Power, power, power. Verse 17, verse 18. I read it, verse 23, verse 24. The power of God. And he's not finished. Look at chapter 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You know what Paul's doing? 
He's juxtapositioning weakness and fear and trembling as over against power. He's in effect saying the reason why I want the power of God to be on display and not my own eloquence and not my own strength is because I don't want anyone to respond to this message because they're responding to my technique. In fact, I've come to you in utter weakness, the opposite of power, and in fear and much trembling. Verse 4 of chapter 2, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Five times he speaks here of the power of God. I think he must be on to something. Here's the power. The power is in the truth of the message rightly preached. Rightly preached. And do you notice also that the power is the power of the Holy Spirit? Look at chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through whom? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. I love that phrase, freely given. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve this power of God on display through the cross that is preached to us we haven't merited it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's, it's a power that is even beyond our own. We can't think it up on our own. Uh, we can't cogitate on it in our minds unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to us so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's why salvation, beloved, is a gift. That's why you and I weren't on the other side of the sophistry and the eloquent wisdom saying, that sounds plausible. That sounds reasonable. I think I'll become a Christian because I myself have chosen and no one else helped me. No one else assisted me. I heard a message. Sounded reasonable. I believed the message. And now all glory goes to me. You see why God himself is the one who opens blind eyes and unstops deaf ears? Because if there was an opportunity, we would take it to glorify ourselves in the salvation that has been given to us. No wonder he says, freely given us by God. Well, if you want to think about a Good Friday service, then think of the preaching, and the power of the cross. And I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. 
because it's those four chapters that continue this interplay by Paul and the Corinthians in a pagan culture that put all of its effort into the technique of the message so that Paul is saying to you in your heart, those of you who believe, that the preaching and the power of the cross comes from God and does not originate from ourselves. Read that. Read that tonight before you pillow your head. Read these four chapters and say to yourself, oh, the power of the cross. If indeed we see the preaching and the power of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 at the beginning of this Corinthian correspondence, then what do we see at the end of the Corinthian correspondence? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection, the resurrection. And on Sunday morning, I shall do part two of this meditation in which we'll be talking about not two Ps, preaching and power, but two Gs, gospel and grace. So let's bow our heads. As we bow our heads in this meditation, in the opportunity to see the truth of the Word of God come to our hearts and minds, to preach the gospel not with eloquent words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We are asking, Heavenly Father, that this communion, this supper of the Lord, be so precious to us because we ourselves had this gospel preached to us. And when you opened our eyes to see the truth of such a gospel, the power of God was at work. Even the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you that it was not our own doing. Thank you that Paul himself says it. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. May we boast first and foremost tonight in the bread and then in the cup. These are emblematic, the bread and the cup, of that which we are seeing in a visual way, in a tangible way, as we touch the bread, as we partake with the cup in our hands, we are 
proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ. We're acknowledging that the preaching of the gospel has come to us and that we're Christians, we're followers of Christ and that we've experienced the very power from God through this cross and through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. May we celebrate it for His honor and through Him to the praise of our Heavenly Father by the Spirit. Pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.